enter a nexus of science, violence, and nonsense, where fake news, pseudoscience, and weaponized stupidity meet full-contact fact-checking and peer-reviewed ass-kicking. And as always, no bullshit allowed. Recorded live at Bullshito Headquarters in Austin, Texas, this is the Art of Fighting BS Podcast. Man, you come right out of a comic book. Chocolate lines up planetarily with the sun. Chocolate is an octave of sun energy. Brain chips in the trips. They get the trips. Special vaccines that are really nanotech that already re-engineer their brains. What, what are you gonna do? Excuse me, sir. I don't want any trouble. Sure, on some planet, your style is quite impressive, but your weak link is this is Earth. Hey, well, I get to learn karate. Karate, the Dane Cook of martial arts. No. We do not need that many vaccines. What does the scouter say about his power level? It's over nine thousand. We have a saying back home that if you're coming on. Come on. Keep the yoga mat out of your mouth and on the floor. You know friends and family that eat yoga mat? Oh, in the parking lot. Are we fucking hot, motherfucker? Get him a body bag! Yeah! All right. <laughs> Beep. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. This is the official first episode of the Art of Fighting BS podcast. I'm Frost. I'm the editor and executive director of Bullshito, which means I'm basically the guy that gets the death threats and the lawsuits. Yay me. On today's episode, we have Jason Goldsmith, MD, PhD, to talk about obesity from a scientific perspective. We'll also touch on fat shaming and the sad state of nutrition and healthcare in the United States in general. Jason's a physician scientist who lately has been doing a lot of stem cell biology, and he's been cited by WebMD and Time Magazine uh, on his um, review of the interplay of diet and the microbiome and the immune system. He works as a hospitalist and runs a plasma center, and he got involved with us uh, in the mid-2000s, ended up hosting several of our throwdowns, which if you're not familiar with what those are, it's basically sort of a peer review for people doing martial arts uh, by the way of uh, punching each other in the face and seeing what works. Good times. Uh, he's a fifth degree black belt in Kaju Kenbo and has been studying Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for about a decade, but is still a blue belt, which he would like to blame on his medical residency, but I don't know if we're going to hold him to that. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Okay, so, um... Alright, so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bullshito Podcast. Hey. <laughs> I'm Frost. <laughs> this is uh, your humble host, Sub-Messenger, and we have with us... Uh, Shifu... Sifu Jason Sifu from Jason. the forums, but better known as... Jason on the forums, otherwise known as Jason Goldsmith, Dr. Goldsmith, or Jason for these purposes. MD, PhD, LMNOP. So. Yes, I've collected a, a lot of degrees. I spent too much time in school. Yeah, you can never spend too much time in school. I'd do that full-time if uh, Uncle Sam would uh, let me scam them out of that money. Yeah. Oh. But... Yeah, Okay, so uh, the the topic du jour that we're notionally going to end up discussing uh, is the obesity. Fat people. <laughs> Let's try to handle this with some sensitivity because, you know, 
I, I do know some fat people that are in monster shape and, you know, they can even out PT me. But, I mean, that doesn't necessarily make it good for their health. That just means maybe their their cardiovascular system is better than mine. Who knows? So, um, but yeah, the, the whole thing is like the subject of fat shaming versus fact checking versus having uncomfortable conversations with people, which in my capacity and the sort of wing of medicine that I work in, I, I don't have to have conversations with people at all unless they're just really, really terrible at their jobs. But I imagine you might have had one or two of those in your time. Um, uh, many. I mean, that's probably... So when I was a resident in the outpatient clinic, which is your little bit of time where you're not being, you know, abused in the hospital itself, you, you had to deal with obesity on a daily basis. I mean, you dealt with it inpatient, but it's not really, uh, you don't get to sit down and talk to people about their lifestyle choices necessarily when they're an inpatient in the same way you do when they're an outpatient. You logic, you know, follow them and see how they're doing and try to improve things. So I saw a lot of it. I see less of it right now because I mostly do hospital medicine. Um, but I still get a little bit of it here and there. Yeah, I, I understand that that's kind of a problem. Uh, what is it? The HCAP scores is a is a big thing for physicians. Yeah. And so you have to kind of, it's more, you're incentivized to provide subjectively good service versus empirically yeah, accurate. <laughs> is the big one the press gainy is the big scores that people get but um yeah you, you try to theoretically if you do the the right thing they turn it turns out okay but that's also not 100 percent true because press gainy emphasizes customer service probably more than it should and patient satisfaction is different than than necessarily optimal care it doesn't always line up you want it to but when you're given 10 minutes to see a patient it doesn't necessarily and there, there's no really like comprehensive tracking system for patient outcomes versus what patients just how you deal with their feelings right so ideally there's some outcomes and we have you know medicare has big databases and medicaid has databases to a lesser extent because that's all state run but medicare there are some databases now that more and more company or more and more hospitals and healthcare systems are all being switching to epic which is a, a big kind of monopoly electronic medical record and those can share between institutions with some work there's you're starting to get longitudinal care insurance companies have a lot of information so you but but again it's going to be like hospitalizations um glucose levels over blood glucose levels over time maybe you'll get a bmi over time but that'll be harder to get yeah um so you get some stuff but but it's not like you get scored on how good of an outcome you have now the hospital may get scored you as a physician do get you know hospitals get reimbursed based on certain quality metrics so you know how much how are you managing diabetes would be an example of a metric that's been put into place and so they will then rate the hospital and reimbursements for the hospital will be based on that in part but then the hospital has to provide that data yeah well without leading you to a conclusion on this would you because <laughs> this is mine clearly uh would you say that would you agree with the statement that uh the way our healthcare system is set up sort of inv incentivizes bad patient outcomes and basically just 
you know, the same kind of shit that the reason they were overprescribing opioids and the reason they overprescribe antibiotics is because you don't, a lot of people don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation with somebody that needs it. So it incentivizes use and simultaneously incentivizes rapid throughput. And those create, combine, in my opinion, to create the problem. So on the one hand, you have a cost plus system. So health insurance, now put aside Medicare and Medicaid, right? But the private health insurance industry doesn't actually want you to use less care. They want you to use a lot of care that's not super expensive hmm. for any one thing. Because if you, as, you know, Frost here, use $1,000 this year in health care, your employer will then maybe have to pay $1,100, 10% more than that, right? They're going to figure this out to be perfect. Then next year, say you use $1,500. Well, now the same percentage, they'll charge $1,650. So they made $50 more off of you the next year because you used more health care. So even if insurance companies are operating on a percentage overhead, they actually want more use of health care because then their absolute dollar goes up because it's the same percent. So if you have that combined with the idea that doctors get billed by the visit and only kind of by the amount of time they spend based on complex billing, I don't know if we want to go into that. <laughs> Probably not. We lose like all our limited audience. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, I think I know where you're going with this. And I and you see them quickly and you want to get a lot of use. So just give them the antibiotics so you can get to the next patient. Yeah. Yeah. And then back to the this whole subject of obesity which, uh, what is it, the, the stat that I had up earlier is like 40% of the country is obese or 40% of the world, I think, now. Yeah, it's pretty high. And so so everyone's going to argue about BMI. So let me give the BMI disclaimer first. Yes. And then, Michael and then McDonald hates this. to the details of the obesity thing. Because I don't think it's so much a medical problem. I mean, it's a medical problem. It causes medical problems. But I think it's a structural societal problem. And, but let me start with the BMI thing. So when you get these numbers, 40% of America or the country or what have you, or this population is obese versus overweight. A BMI over 25 is overweight. A BMI over 30 is obese um, over that value. That BMI is basically a measure of the size of your body in terms of height, but it's really um, centimeters squared of surface area compared to weight. And it works as a very good crude tool. But it's not great. So most NFL players are either overweight or obese. Yes. And I'm not just talking the linemen. I'm talking like Tom Brady. Yeah, no, I, there was something. Obese. The Rock is, is what, morbidly obese just because of the way, his size. Right. And so it doesn't work at the edges. But again, if we're talking edge cases, throw those out. Like, it doesn't work fine. Well, that's not going to affect the 40% because there's not that many people that violate those issues it's not like when we look around when we're calling everyone obese we send see an army of the swole running around <laughs> here and go this doesn't make sense with what i see no if you go to a mall or anywhere else you see obese people yeah what we think of so why is it happening well um the most fattening foods are the cheapest food science and you know industrialization of food production is now to the point where companies make really delicious food that triggers the brain to want to eat more aka salty fatty sweet yes in all the exact right ratios they figured out that humans just love 
and we have an abundant supply of it all the time. So if you give any creature that is relatively sedentary, so we're not and we're not working as much, right? We don't have to go mine something or run around being exhaustion predators to get our food. So we have less caloric expenditure, and then we design an environment where there's infinite food abundance of the exact food that we don't want to stop eating. Any organism in that case gets fat. Yep. It's the rare people that don't get fat that is actually more interesting than the fact that people get fat. Yeah, it's almost though I've noticed, and maybe this is just a, a casual observation, but that it's a status symbol to not be obese. And it's, it's weird because we're living in a parallel world where uh, a thousand years ago, if you were obese, it was a, a symbol of wealth. But now it's literally the opposite. And right. the pe- people that can afford to go to the gym, spend three hours a day at the gym with a personal trainer and have somebody do their meal plans for them, that's a status of wealth to be visibly right. fit. Right. In a land of excessive cheap food abundance, it is more expensive to be thin than fat. Right? You have to have the time to work out. Yep. You have to have um, the ability to buy more fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, grass-fed beef versus regular beef. And, and pick anything, right? Yep. Even, you know, the, the, the you know fake meat substitutes. Any of those cost more, Right. The cheapest things on, you know, the cheapest fresh meat is ground hamburger and, you know, a box, you know, a thousand, you know, a 3000 calorie bag of Cheetos is, you know, 3000 calories of tomatoes would cost you, I don't even know how much, hundreds of dollars, hundred dollars. Yeah. McDonald's uh, double cheeseburger is like a, uh, what is it? Somebody was, I think it was, might've been Steven Pinker. I'm probably, you know, completely wrong about that. It was like holding it up as like a, uh. A sign of Western progress that you know this is yeah. amazing, but and in a sense it is that you know this so many calories for so goddamn cheap. But then you know, yes. if you look at calories in terms of human labor, we're doing very well. It's just that you're going to have a problem with that. And then you know the concept of food deserts, where there's certain parts of like inner cities and elsewhere that don't have access to you know your Whole Foods or other grocery stores, and you only have convenience stores which are not going to have anything outside of milk that's fresh. Milk, maybe eggs, and then a bunch maybe of Hot Pockets. Eggs. Exactly. Yeah. I, maybe I, some frozen hamburger patties. I think you know. the part of the problem that we run into when discussing this is that there are people on either side of the issue, and, and that, I guess this is universal for every single problem What you know that exists, is that people want a simple solution, and there's half the side that says, well, it's not your fault, you, you, know, you can't help it, it's just this. And then the other side is like, it's entirely your fault. Uh, you, you're just a weak-minded person. You can't fight it off. And then the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's like, yeah, we're, we got to fight off thousands and thousands of years of evolution that says, eat all this shit because you're never going to get this again, ever. You're, you're going to be lucky if you get this many calories. Uh, so way deep in our brains that are telling us to do this shit. And, but we have it everywhere. You can throw a rock and hit a convenience store that's got more calories than your ancestors all combined saw. Right. So on the one hand, you know, with as I said, anything, there's always this. It's all the society versus all individual responsibility. That's a that's a very common axiom. I think if you really look biologically, you, you don't have to be a strict determinist. But if you look biologically, most of what people do is much more subconsciously processed and done. And so even with you know 
very strong-willed people, people who can really focus on things, can change stuff. And so the concept of free will, whether you believe it or not, the concept <laughs> of it, the idea of making decisions is an important active thing because that's how you invoke change in an individual. But if you're trying to say, why is America fat or the world getting fatter? And what are the ways to stop that? The Every individual doing the right thing never is going to be a solution. Because in the end, individuals have had the same amount of willpower probably over the last several thousand years. You can argue that now we're a bunch of soft-willed people, but I think that genetically we haven't drifted that much in a few thousand years, and yet we're a lot fatter. So maybe it's our environment that is making it much harder to resist the temptations now because everything is wired to make us say yes. Yeah, and it's funny you said that because I just I was just reading uh, what was it, uh, Mr. Zen Stiller himself, uh, Sam Harris's. He had a paper on uh, the fact that free will is essentially an illusion because. I think they showed that was it might not have been Sam Harris. Anyway, they showed that at a, sub, a neurological level, all the way down, the um, decisions are made before the higher cognitive functions like are engaged. So, like a choice, and I, I forget what, what method they used to show right, that. Right, yeah, like fMRI, probably, yeah. or something. Would be how I'd guess. And so, yeah, and so the idea that we have free will, I don't know if we do or don't. I think to a certain point, it's a useful construct. Like, I'm making a decision, I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about losing weight, or thinking about getting a better grade, or thinking about, you know, whatever I'm doing, right? And so that level of consciousness obviously allows us to respond beyond a rote instinctual level of other creatures, right? Yeah. And it's useful, but that doesn't, but you can't use that as a framework when you see a global shift. Especially not since, like, what, 1980, 1970, uh, the, the obesity cases spiked. And um, I don't know if that was directly uh, related to sugar subsidies or something along those lines. Or corn so sugar subsidies were part of it. Uh, manufacturing has gotten a lot better. People don't, I think, appreciate how good food science is. Yeah. Like, they... Good at their jobs, you know, not necessarily good. Right, right. <laughs> Right, right, right. But I'm good at their jobs. Like, we can put a person on the moon. We can do the same equivalent in terms of rocketry with food. We can make it super delicious. The exact amount of salt versus sweet versus mouthfeel versus all those things to make you go, oh my god, it's back down to bag of Cheetos. How did that happen to me? Right? Yep. Like. Yeah, no, I have caught myself, and, you know, I try to stay somewhat strict. Uh, you know, I ha I'll have, like, the occasional cheat week but uh no, i um i think there was a, a philosopher or somebody that described it's not necessarily free will but he used it in terms of free won't as in you have these impulses and if you don't resist them then yeah they will control you but if you if you actively engage the the process to to resist all those impulses then then you're exercising your free won't so right, I think but if way. you only have a thousand won'ts a day, <laughs> and the food industry alone is using up 950 of them, and then your phone has another 10 million, yep. you're going to start doing shit you shouldn't be doing. Yeah, and if you've had a long day at work, and you're just fucking tired, and you come home and the kids are screaming, you just want to stuff something in your face. You don't have that willpower anymore. You just... Exactly. You just want that hit of, uh, what is it, dopamine or serotonin or whatever, just the reward circuit. That tells you, hey, you can enjoy this. This this will make your life less shitty for the 30 seconds you enjoy it. Exactly. And so, 
And so the question, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to the what to do about it is really that you have to be, you know, I don't know if you can regulate the food industry in the same way, but you have to. I think if you actually focused on making fresh fruits and vegetables more affordable, that would probably be the most likely economic way that you can get things to fly. Yeah. Like I don't think you're going to be able to stop the food industry. I mean, that doesn't seem something that will happen in America. But you could market incentivize the healthier things to be more competitive. Yep. Because like fresh fruit is delicious and humans really like it. It's just hard to get and more expensive. Yeah, and it's also a pain in the ass too for like that busy mom that's got three kids exactly. and no husband. And just you know, they crack open a packet and give it to them versus puree the, the you know, exactly. see, get the seeds Strain out. Strain it, it and yeah, exactly. So there's you know that is part of it. I think you know act you know activity doesn't do a lot in terms of the weight metric, but it does and it doesn't. Like you don't burn that many calories in an hour of average working out, but it does alter your metabolism long term. And so people who argue that working out is crap. You know, in terms of calorie expenditure, they're right, but they may not be right in terms of total effects of weight loss. Plus, working out's good for lowering your blood pressure and cardiovascular health and all these other psychologically reduces sure, cortisol exactly. levels, all kinds of stuff. So, but like, if you want to talk about this whole fat shaming move, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. we do. So, <laughs> yes, so to to dive in, like again, I don't. I think that like many of these movements that go completely amok. Uh, you, it started probably in a decent place. Just like, you know, people are now, you know, punching a Nazi is probably not a bad thing, but the problem now is that no one can tell you who the actual Nazis really are. And so now people are just punching people. Yeah. Like, say, yeah, say Which punch, I'm not necessarily right? opposed to, but, you know, it's not good when innocent people get punched. So Right, exactly. And so, like, you know, the idea of, like, you know, if someone's overweight, calling them a fat land whale is probably not the most efficacious way to get them not <laughs> to, uh, you know, stay fat, especially if they're fat because they're, you know, emotionally eat. Making them feel bad is not going to make them emotionally eat less. No. Right? No, and I don't think anybody who gives a shit about anything would would advocate that. Right, and so the idea of fat shame, and and, and does the media and industry and models and all of that portray an unrealistic body type that even if we weren't all on the uh, McDonald's, you know, diet, if, you know, even if we were all eating healthy, is that body type unrealistic? Yes, it's an edge case, right? Just like NFL players are edge cases, so are supermodels. Which is why they're on television and in right, sports. Right, why because they get paid hundreds of millions of dollars to show their ass on Instagram. They're exceptional in the first place. Right. So, but we, okay. Yeah, go ahead. And just like, you know, that's a physical, you know, considered an epitome of physical beauty, so is, you know, pro athletes considered an epitome of physical performance. All, yeah, and then, cases. so, but, but, so, why is that? Like, why do we say that this person is beautiful. So, I mean, you, you've seen shifts in beauty over time, right? Like, you know, a Marilyn Monroe versus a Twiggy versus things in between. So there's obviously, you know, and I'm not a, a sociologist, there's obviously cultural things that shift over time, right? But even in those cases, there's still certain proportions with a waist smaller than a hips and a breast and females that indicate some biological level of fertility. You typically youthful, which is fertile. So it's all 
pegs into some form of biological from from form. and it's shoulder to uh, waist ratio and i think chest to uh, no shoulder to hip ratio and chest to uh chest to waist which is what right. they, they tracked women women's eyeball movement on that right exactly and so there's this whole concept of like you know what's biologically fit for reproduction and in and also that alters in society right so l- earlier on as you mentioned like being more overweight was considered valuable well you know in the past you needed to have more weight on you to be able to reproduce and so you know the level what was considered beautiful shifted over time in relation to your reproductive fitness yeah when the peasants weighed 90 pounds and were frail and you know falling over then yeah being a little bit chubby was was a status symbol right and considered physically attractive as well because it meant you could breed yep and but you know just like height even in women is considered attractive and height in men well what the hell does height have to do with biological breeding? Well, it has to do with how likelihood your children are to survive because height's correlated with success during violence. Whether it's killing a lion or a person, right? Like, the taller you are... Yeah, no, it's, it's correlated with a bunch of stuff because apparently the uh, like the top-selling salesmen are tend to be taller. Right, right. It's just, it's, it's how we're wired, right? So there you go. It, so exactly. The, yeah. so, exactly. So, so I'm I, I'm not making a choice. I'm not making a conscious decision to say, "Oh, this is the body type that I find attractive or don't." That's something that is that is hardwired deep inside of me, right? Well, there's uh, probably some cultural context. So it's impossible, you know, humans being things that create culture. And this is what the idea of the selfish gene and you know real memes, not you know poster memes. Dawkins memes have is that there is some level of society that will influence it so what our parents think is attractive versus what we think is probably somewhat shifted and we can even get into i mean cultural stew we've come up in so that that's also inherited let's look at that because i mean there are uh, i mean cultures cultures that are broken down by what people consider race um I'm not big into the whole race science thing, but there are different cultures that are based on people's phenotypical characteristics or where the way they look, you know? So let's say black people tend to be attracted to women with big butts and they cannot lie about it. I mean, (laughs) so you're going to, you're going to get that, right? Yeah. That's a cultural thing. Right. And and that cultural thing may have to do with people who exist in that culture, look a certain way or valued a certain way. Um, but, so, so it, but, and, and this is kind of what I was to trying to say is that them. okay, maybe that's maybe that's cultural from one perspective, but um, at the same time, you are building the society, you're breeding these people in, and uh, you know these these kind of basic um, instinctual ideas about who you're attracted to and who you need to be able to breed with. Um, doesn't that also at some point become uh, you know that baser level. It's not a decision that we're making. It's not so, a decision that society is yes, making I would say for it's us. It's a base decision that's not conscious. Whether it's hard baked or soft baked, whether it's hardware or firmware, is you know all, always a gray area. Yeah, I, I love the far. computational model of, of thought. That, that that explains so much about people. Now that we have a, a framework to look at it from, you know, oh, we know how computers work. So yeah, we're we're kind of you know. Our own sort of computer, in a way, and then that explains a lot of how we're misprogrammed. In our, we're still running the equivalent of Windows ninety eight, um, the ancestral version. Uh, so, but but no, I I, I think the 
the point that there is a baseline for attractiveness, and that goes back to a an evaluation of health, which is what confounds the whole obesity problem in the first place. Because, I mean, yeah, these people, a lot of people that are overweight, are they struggle to find somebody that, that gives a shit about them, that have stable partnerships or... Uh, you know, find attractive mates, and yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I, I'm I'm trying to be sensitive to to the challenges of that. So, right. I guess my where I've fallen is like not everyone. You don't have to be physically attractive to have value as a person. Yes. And the idea that I think where this this what is it you said everyone at a you know. H A E S or something. Yeah, health at every size. Every size, right, right. So there are objective metrics. Same concept. There's objective metrics of health. You're not necessarily healthy at every size. You're not necessarily going to be considered physically attractive at every size. That doesn't mean people don't have value as humans at every size. So if you had a movement about value people regardless of their BMI, you know. Yeah. Value all BMI, you know, VAB or whatever. <laughs> okay, right? Like your value isn't necessarily tied to your BMI in any way, right? You're not, you're not, you know, less of a person, you know, because you are overweight or underweight or what have you. But that doesn't mean you are equally healthy or equally physically attractive to a large cohort of people if you are morbidly obese uh, yeah exactly and uh it's not that value is even exists on a single scale it's not like a spectrum it, there's exactly. different sorts of value it could be your intellectual value your creative value your value as a somebody who writes uh steven universe fan fiction whatever i don't you know right I mean, there's, there's all kinds but of there's this idea that everyone has to be if not equal equal no so this is the thing you know diversity is about how not, everyone's not the same Right, mm -hmm. but then simultaneously, and everyone's their own individual person. But then, yet simultaneously, even though everyone's their own individual person, they're all equal in all aspects at all times. And those aren't <laughs> compatible. Yeah. Everyone can have the kind of equal value. Can say no one human is better than any other human, right? And each person has their own value that they bring to the table. But by definition, if you're you know comfortable with diversity, everyone brings their own value that is different from other people. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It's and it's just it's another example of a well-intentioned idea that goes off the rails and ends up being repeated by the loudest and least rational group uh, because they're the ones that, that get all the the attention because they're yelling louder than the reasonable people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's that is the that is the medical problem. So I think that this whole idea of healthy at every size is just a medical fallacy. There are, you know, people who are, you know, super low BMI, anorexic, what have you, that are not healthy, right? They can be so unhealthy that they don't have enough potassium in their body and they have a cardiac arrhythmia. They can be so unhealthy that they um, die, from being too low weight you yeah. can be so unhealthy that you die from being overweight yeah and um i mean there okay. it really should be flipped to unhealthy <laughs> at every size because there are people that look per perfectly normal that have a cholesterol of like 400 or you know they're 
Oh yeah. Their plasma looks like a damn milkshake when you uh, spin it down. <laughs> yes. So I, I've literally seen that. It's, it's gross. Yeah. Yes. It's there's especially when it's hemolyzed, it looks like strawberry quick. It's the nastiest goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's my, that's my personal trauma. Um, but so I I think the problem is that yes, you we can accept people for who they are, but we shouldn't accept the condition. Because it's not as being okay. Yeah, it's right. If they have a medical problem and it's unhealthy, yes. they shouldn't accept it. First of all, I mean, you don't want to right. infringe on people's autonomy. You don't want to have this paternalistic society where you're you're telling people no, you you can't. You can only order you know McDonald's once a week or this kind of that. Nobody wants to live in that world. But then again, you don't want to live in the world where people are throwing hissy fits on the airplane because they're upset that the guy next to them doesn't want to have half their seat taken up by somebody who didn't pay for that half. So I, right. I think that's and probably so you right. have this. Yeah. It's like on the one hand, you know, if you're like Ashley Graham, she's a air quote plus size model. I think movement like that, where you are modeling on clothes and in popular culture, people who are not, you know, the Kendall Jenners or Hadids or Kardashians of the world or whatever, right? Like that whole cohort, not the supermodels from Victoria's Secret, that, you know, the typical ones. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Like here's other healthy people at a range, you know, technically she's overweight or potentially she could even be obese. But if you look at her, you don't go, oh, you have a medical problem. Yeah. Like Tess Holiday, for example. Are you familiar with her? No, she is this. Yeah, Google that. Uh, she is the the super plus size model, and she's all about the. I mean, I get it. Everybody should feel comfortable. Oh in their own skin. yeah, yeah. Okay. She is yeah, outspoken fair. about that and insistent that she's in, in top physical condition. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm I'm not getting that. We're from. We're looking at pictures, and we'll have to put that pictures. in the show notes. Yeah, um, no. Um, if you compare that to Ashley Graham, which I will look up now. Uh, she's looking like a person. Yeah, right. she's a human being. Right. Uh, that's a woman. I mean, that that is a. I would say. Well, I mean, other than the fact that she's drop dead gorgeous, she's a normally shaped sized woman. I don't know. Is she super tall or something? Or right. But I would not say that's plus she's size. Technically overweight. If you were to go by a BMI, you know, you, if you saw her as in a physician's office, you probably. Wouldn't, you would not have a discussion with her about her weight unless her labs were all off and she was like pre-diabetic or something, and then you'd talk to her about it, no, right? She just looks like a normal woman. Well, exactly. she, she does have but a little bit of cellulite going on there. But then the again, back, but I mean, everybody's got cellulite, especially <laughs> yeah, after a certain after age. you have kids. Yeah. Good Lord. Um, but Tessa Hol- Tess Holiday, like, you, you have the shape that's showing that you have a centralized distribution of fat, so on and so forth. Like that that's not healthy. Yeah. And we we honestly maybe we should look at be looking at dudes cuz we start to edge into a little bit uncomfortable territory. Okay, this is getting a little weird. A now. bunch of three dudes that are <laughs> Well, no, no, but I'm saying that No, I'm with you, but like I mean I'm just thinking of models. Like so I think a movement like Ashley Graham is very helpful. Yeah. I think men men have a much larger <laughs> range of socially acceptable body types including like the seth rogan right yeah and he is like basically rogan a is fat type. at various points in his life and he's still considered like you know 
air quote fuckable, right? Because he's Seth Rogen and funny. I'm pretty sure like, he just made a somewhat, movie about that. The somewhat fat, funny guy. Yes. Is still considered desirable. And I'm sure Roy Nelson in a way, in a way that that the overweight female, even the funny one, isn't necessarily considered sexually desirable. Yep. No, and, I, and, and there is a difference, right? I don't necessarily. I didn't come up with the standard. There is a difference in the standard, and it's the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my point being is that because there's a difference in the standard, I think a movement to ex, you know promote body types like an Ashley Graham is super valuable. I yes. think it, it does a lot to you know fight some of the cultural narrative that you get, where then girls feel awful about the way they look. You know who because they don't. Not to get all nerdy, because, I mean, actually, to get all nerdy, because that's that's what I do. Uh, have you seen The Expanse, that show? Yes, I love it. Yes. Uh, I love Bobby Draper. Things. Can't wait for the next one. Gunnery Sergeant Bobby Draper, Martian Space Marine, badass. I think she's, um, so the actress is Samoan? Or Maori or something? Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, she is a woman. She is a woman in great physical shape, but she is not a tiny little waif. So. No, exactly, and that's great, and I think, and I think, but and as you said, like the then, but then you've gone to the point of, you know, really obese people saying, no, I'm equally beautiful. No, 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 you're equally valuable as a person, but you don't necessarily get the same number of points on the beauty scale. Fine, it's okay. I'm not saying you're bad, and it's but you are not healthy. Yeah, it is not healthy to be that weight. You can tolerate it for only so many years before. You strain your body too much, right? Like, your heart isn't any bigger, so it has to work harder, and that's going to cause problems. Your, um... Your, your joints your, cannot take that your joints, your, I mean, your system, and it doesn't, um, isn't having an excess of adipose tissue can create, like, secondary inflammation? And oh, yeah. It's, it's considered a pseudo... It, it, can, it can kind of really create low-level inflammatory cytokines, so that's not great. And, then, and so it can create these low-level inflammatory conditions. I think we published an article a couple months back on how um, like obesity, when, when you're pregnant, can I, has been at least not like necessarily linked, but um, correlated with... Uh, just somewhere along the lines of there is a a relationship possible relationship to autism which, potentially yeah yeah i mean i think the my personal the best theory i've seen with autism is really that you know how when women get older they have more miscarriages and trisomies where the the chromosomal breaking a part that needs to undergo to make an egg doesn't go right yeah so the meiosis that makes eggs doesn't go uh well you have all your eggs to begin with but they they do the final division late and then, then the recombination and the duplications, right? So those don't work right. In men, uh, you have sperm until the day you die that's constantly being made, but it carries a lot more mutations over time. And they think that like the level of mental retardation, like the actual medical meaning of that, low IQ, um, other mental disorders like autism are all associated with older sperm. So as the age of May of fathers goes up, you're seeing a higher rate of all of these things because old sperm causes that. Oh shit! I just often. I just had a baby, so sorry, sorry, son, if you're a little 
you're on the spectrum. I, I love you nonetheless. So, uh, just <laughs> no, but it's yeah, okay. You'll, like, you'll post on 4chan. He, he did that, seem like. really happy today. Yeah, no, right. I mean, yeah. he'll, he'll make a great no, 4chan shit poster. So, yeah, no, but seriously, like, you know, women, you know, are always like, don't, you know, have your kids before 35, right? It's like the old thing. But, like, there's a 35 year old edge for men, too. It's just not as blatant. Um, in its presentation is the female one, which is why it's gone less noticed for a while. Isn't there something about if the father's older, and I think I just found this because of my own personal bias, that the, the telomeres are a little bit longer or they're more resistant? Um, I, I hadn't heard about that. Oh, um, but yeah. I do know that mental retardation goes up with the age of the father. Oh, well, All shit. Again, sorry, son. but Again, less, again <laughs> most of the time doesn't happen, but when you're looking at population statistics yeah. and you're wondering, well, why has autism gone up over the last you know, 30 years? Well, guess what else has also gone? I know correlation mm-hmm. doesn't equal causation, but what has also gone up in the last 30 years, it has a mechanism behind it, yeah. the age of the father. Yep. And there's mechanisms. And people are just waiting to have kids longer because they can't fucking afford to, to do anything, you know? They can't afford to have kids. Everyone delays for careers. It's not compatible to have kids while in grad school. There's all types of... <laughs> yeah. Well, but we're also longer lived now, right? Uh, hmm. We're not that much longer lived than we were 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, compared to 100 years ago, for sure. But yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying, man. It's... <sighs> The, the problem is, like I said, there's so much nuance and there's so many various factors that contribute to all this. And everybody just wants a simple story. They're like, just don't eat carbs and you'll lose weight. Uh, oh. Don't. Oh, yeah. We can go on the diet if you Oh, please. Let's go on a diet. For, you know, I this is one of my, my pet peeves is that, yeah. All right. Calories in for so, calories out. <laughs> oh, so it's, it's, it's true that every diet works almost equally effectively well. For a very short period of time, and then stops working because people stop adhering to it. Yes, right. Um, because people don't people don't treat it as their normal nutritional sustenance. They treat it as something that they're going to do to lose weight before the summer comes around, so they can fit in that bikini or whatever. It's a temporary so, stopgap. Yeah, exactly. So yes. it's it, it's always just you know what um, this very temporary thing. But it is also true that not – so while all calories are created equal in terms of the macronutrients that you have, it is not true that all calories are equal in terms of what they do to your insulin levels and how your body decides to either burn the glute, burn the calorie or you know, piss or poop it out or store it as fat. And that is the issue of uh, simple carbs versus complex carbs, right? Simple carbs versus complex carbs, keto diets. Um, you know, so going into ketosis alters your metabolism. So even if you eat the same amount of calories, um, your met- metabolic rate is different, and how you store it is different. So you're going to burn. You're you're selectively telling your body to burn fat, and you pee out your excess ketones. So if you had, do you want me to go in a little bit of the keto diet? Uh, yeah, actually, because that's a big thing. In fact, uh, who is it? Jordan Peterson's on this, maybe him or his daughter. Oh, yeah, selling carnivore his, diet. Yeah, just I'll that, eat meat. That's weird. That's the, yeah. Not, God. Okay, <laughs> but the key, the keto diet. All right, so the idea of keto diet is you eat a, a minimal enough sugar that your body goes into ketosis, which is where you're eating. So you eat mostly fat, some protein, 
and minimal sugar. And what that does is it makes your body form something called ketone bodies, which are, instead of being able to utilize your regular metabolism, so glycolysis and the citric acid cycle, to basically take sugars, break them down into glucose from their polysaccharide form, so sucrose as a glucose. 32 molecules of ATP, right? I'm trying to remember. Right, but you have ATP and NAD. Okay. So most of most of the energy you actually get is NAD, not ATP, from uh, from oxidative phosphorylation, yeah. and NAD is worth several ATP. But yeah, you basically take it and do some, you know, you convert it to CO two and H two O, just like a car engine combusts. But you 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 use your your cells use that process to make ATP, which is the main fuel source, and NAD, which is another fuel source for your body to do all its biochemistry. Great. So not and to then, not to like totally. Um um, be uh, ignorant or, or, or total plebeian on, on this stuff, but uh, so ATP is uh, adenosine triphosphate. Yeah, it's the same A in the adenosine that's part of your DNA. Right, and so then NAD is nicotinamide um, adena. Yeah. Okay. So that's why we just call that because we can. Right. But so, but so we think about it. The way the way biochemistry works is that you have to pay the energy cost. Otherwise, you violate the laws of thermodynamics. So ATP, that triphosphate bond, that phosphate's a very high energy bond, and so it has a lot of chemical energy stored in it. So your body breaks apart the glucose, and in the process, transfers those electrons through these enzymes, electron transport chain. And in doing so, stores that energy in a chemical bond. So just like TNT is a high-energy chemical bond that blows up easily, ATP releases a lot of energy when that third phosphate's hydrolyzed. Mm -hmm. So it takes a lot of energy to build it. So you're storing it as a battery. And then your body will move that phosphate around. So a lot of cell signaling telling your body to do things you put on and off phosphates on different groups and that causes the protein to change shape and in changing shape it then makes things exposed or things to happen but the reason that it can change shape and the reason that you're not violating the laws of physics and thermodynamics specifically is because that bond itself is high energy and so you're paying that you're banking the energy now to pay it later by hydrolyzing it to do stuff this is, this is like 10,000 foot biochemistry, but you're basically taking the glucose in, your body metabolizes and breaks that down into CO2 and H2O. You breathe out the CO2, you piss out the H2O, or you actually you use it. Um, that's why we don't have to drink as much fluid as we can need in a day. That's because we make some of it. Um, and then uh, that energy is then stored as ATP or in other form is used acutely as ATP and that then fuels the body's metabolism so when you're in ketosis so in ketosis you're not having the sugar input because that's the most efficient sugar just goes through the state straight metabolic metabolic pathways which are oxidative phosphorylation followed by glycolysis you can take fat and break fat down and fat can go through this pathway too that is why fat is an energy store right your body can break it down but it breaks it down not only into glucose but often into ketone bodies so its output is ketone bodies co2 and h2o not just and it's less efficient 
than just straight sugar. There's an inefficiency in it. But the inefficiency is one of the reasons why you're. I mean, it takes more energy to burn that energy. So well, so so it, so it takes more energy to burn that energy, and in the end, you have something left over which you pee out. Right. Yes. The only people that pee out glucose are diabetics because they have too much glucose in their body, and it's normal people with kidney injury. But yes. peeing out glucose isn't normal. Peeing out ketones is a way you get rid of the waste that you can't use, and you breathe it out too. So your body excretes the ketones, which are the end product of breaking down fat for energy. Yep. And so in order of inefficiency, it goes fat, then proteins, and then the most efficient is glucose. So you're basically shifting to a less efficient energy form. It just happens to be delicious because it's bacon. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right? And so you're shifting to a more inefficient energy source that lets you basically, and then up-revving your metabolism, okay, you're burning more to get the same energy number of ATP, right? Yep. You're burning more mass to get the same amount of ATP. Now, this is probably this is all normal things that bodies did, right? People used to not eat for days and become in ketosis when they were running around waiting to get the next thing to hunt and burning up their fat reserves, right? Yep. So it's a normal physiological adaptation that people are using to and but you'll notice that when people talk about the keto diet, they cycle it. They don't just stay in ketosis for months on end. They'll, they'll go into you know, very mild ketosis and then they Would that be hard on your kidneys? And or other bits, uh, scientific word. Bits. It can really high levels of ketosis aren't something you can maintain for a long period of time. To my understanding, I don't know the exact levels, but I believe you you can't stay in like super ketosis. That's why usually it's a low level. And if you talk to people on keto diets, they'll they'll go really heavy in and then like wean back. Yeah, because it's not permanently sustainable. Plus, your breath smells like I don't know feet and ass. <laughs> Smells like, yeah. Well, so, I mean, ketones are, well, as a general Fruity? you know, class of chemicals, ketones are poisonous to humans, no. right? No. A ketone, a ketone is a carbon with two oxygens off of it, and that oxygen, that, that carbon double bond oxygen, sorry, not carbon, sorry. A ketone is a carbon with a double bond to an oxygen, and off both ends has another carbon okay i i, I can okay. picture this I, I yeah I'm, I, I, I'm not going to call you out on the on the specific chemistry um that just in in my head i, so I think of ketones is toxic but that's the most famous ketone okay but yeah so that that's exactly kind of carbon where off of one end a double bond or a, a carbon with a double bond oxygen and then carbon stuff off the other end so but ketone bodies are, I mean, like ketones are seen in diabetes, right? You can get diabetic ketoacidosis is where you're overwhelmed and have all these ketones pop up because your metabolism is all screwed up. Yeah, and that, that lowers your, your blood pH, right? Yeah, well, yeah, you are have a low blood pH as a result of it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so that actually puts me in mind of the, uh, what is it, the, the alcohol? Alkaline diet, which that is one of my personal pet peeves. Oh, Every time oh, I yeah. see we, that, we can go there in a second. Oh. We'll go to the that. That's a whole level of bullshit. But so to finish on diets that do and don't work. So ketosis, yeah, because you're basically eating something inefficient. Yeah. Right. You're shifting to inefficient food sources. Okay, that's useful. Um, the diets, you know, intermittent fasting is probably the most 
well-studied, efficacious, number one thing that actually does work. Yep, I'm a big fan. I actually, I don't eat normally. I don't eat until like noon, and then I stop eating about eight. And this is not exactly the most rigorous IF schedule, but it, it works for me. And it's yeah, I find it impossible to maintain it as rigorously as I want. I basically. I do it at least once a week for a really long time, so I stop eating at 6.30 and then don't eat till 10 or 11 the next day, but that's because I have a night shift, ah. and so I basically go to work, don't eat, stay up half the night, go home, sleep, and then um, don't eat until after I get up again, but I find it hard otherwise, except randomly I'll do it, but the idea of not eating so that your body induces autophagy, which is your, basically your cell recycling program, yes. is A, physiologically normal for people, right? Because we didn't used to have abundance of food all day, every day. And so it's probably something our body's adapted to, to clean out the garbage cells. And has one of the only things that's been shown to extend life. So one of the only things that's ever been shown to reliably extend longevity is intermittent fasting. Nifty. So I'm going to live to be like <laughs> probably 10 years longer than I would have. So. I mean, seriously, it's a, probably the the best idea of, of a diet. Would you, um, speaking of fasting, how about, um, I, I know that there some people that do IF and then they mix in like a 24-hour fast every now and then. Uh, is so that... I think the idea of a 24, you know, so this sounds weird being someone who's not very religious, but, you know, there are a lot of religions that have some point of fast for a day. Yeah, I mean, Ramadan, and there's, what, I mean, the Catholics don't Everything in, in Yom Kippur, being Jewish, there's all types of stuff, yeah, right? There's probably a physiological benefit to it, intermittently fasting for a day. Now, they also have you not do water, and that's dumb. Yeah. There's no reason to fast for water, necessarily. Is that the Yom Kippur one, or is... Oh, yeah, Yom I was going to say, because the Ramadan, that would not be a very good survival strategy. If it, yeah, Yom Kippur is just one day, not... Okay. Yeah, 30 days. But... A lot of the other weird Jewish laws have been found to have medical things like don't eat pork used to be because you couldn't cook it high enough to get rid of the worms, and there's all types of yeah, stuff. Trick. So tricky trick. Okay. There's maybe, you know, if I had to bet just based on the track record, there's probably a benefit for it. In addition, it probably induces a deeper state of autophagy for a day. But you could, but I don't think everyone's done the thing. Well, what if I do one day where I don't eat for 16 hours? Another day in a week cycle, four, a few days later, where I don't eat for a day, and the rest of the time I just eat when I want. I don't know if you get the same level of benefits or not. Yeah, and, and you know, like some I, amount of fasting here and there is probably good for your body. Yeah, it's like I was going to say the uh, our ancestors weren't idiots. They they weren't. It's not like they were stupid just because they didn't know as much as we do. They didn't have information, but they could pay attention to see if certain things were better for your health. Right. Clearly, humans are really good at pattern recognition. Yes. But even at a more base level than that, think about, you know, as again, the problem with obesity is that we're now in a land of infinite food abundance in a way that we were never evolved to be in. Any creature in our situation gets fat. Yep. Right? Unless, the, except but for the those way, outliers with supreme uh, willpower and metabolism. And metabolisms. Yeah, metabolism. My wife eats pasta and doesn't gain a pound or whatever. <laughs> this is the way she is. The family, entire family's that way. But the point being, we are adapted to not eat for periods of time, right? So, okay. So let's probably we were we were evolved to go several day, you know, a day or you know, most of a day without eating and just have a little bit of something we find, and then be in ketosis for a while because all I could find was you know some dead animal brain or whatever yeah, that I ate, bone like, marrow. 
or bone broth, yeah. right? Like what have you. Yeah. So we evolved to do that. So if we eat more like you were evolved to do, and I'm not talking paleo. I'm talking about the general idea of food input timing and quantity. And then whole unprocessed foods as well. You just real food, oh, right? So I don't buy the whole paleo thing, but I buy the old adage: don't you know, eat around the outside of the grocery store. Yeah, like the less it comes from a bag, the better. Yep, great. Like paleo is ridiculous. <laughs> I I used to be paleo a says strong... strawberries are fine. Have you seen what a natural strawberry looks like? Paleo says lemons are fine. Lemons are not natural. Yeah, bananas. Bananas aren't natural. Bananas. Have, I, we did an article uh, a year or two ago about how the whole GMO thing. It was basically about that. Oh, yeah, God. We're, yeah. We've, say goodbye to our bananas, by the yeah, way. Yeah, the foods that we ate, our ancestors ate, don't look anything like the foods that we we do now. Right, and, like corn. And, well, I yeah. mean, the banana. Yeah. Like Kirk Cameron, shut the fuck up. I mean, it wasn't. We weren't. Des- our hands weren't designed for bananas. We designed bananas. Yes, you know we're going to lose our... Ne- uh, so we used to eat a new different banana up until the 60s when this uh, fungus killed them all, and so then we had to switch to the banana type we use now, and that same fungus has now evolved to attack our current bananas, oh, which shit. is also a monoculture, and so we'll probably lose all our current bananas and have to switch again in the next 20 years. Oh, shit. I love bananas. Yeah. The old banana apparently was delicious, though. Nah. GMOs will save us. Yeah, and that that's a whole well, other topic. And, you and that's, that's the entire problem. I mean, do you want to open that can of worms, talk about GMOs? Because, again, this is another one of those subjects where some of the critics have a point about some aspects of it, but it's not like GMOs are a government conspiracy so, to kill so your it's really, kids. The, the, the very root issue is that GMO, genetically modified organism, is not a scientifically reliable name. <laughs> what do you mean by genetically modified? Yeah. Do you mean where we've cloned in a specific gene? Well, what technology? Are you talking about CRISPR systems? Are you talking about old-school recombination? Are you talking about random mutation, like our ruby red grapefruit, which is basically grapefruit that's been irradiated half to death until we got a mutation that made it nice and pretty and red? Nice. I, uh, thank you for that. I was going to break up grapefruits because they are one of the uh, one of the, the, the quintessential examples of, of how we have developed food over time or, to be yeah, you know palatable exactly. and attractive for us. Or are you talking about your little dog Fido, which is a genetically modified organism through selective breeding? Yeah, a badass wolf that you've turned into a little carpet wet and you know piece of garbage. But we don't eat right. the dogs. Well I mean we're not right. gonna eat the dogs, but they're we do, not here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know cows cows aren't a wild species. No, no. Uh, what was what's, the Aurochs? A wild is, cow? Is the Aurochs, which was like, what, 15,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago? Yes, exactly. So point being, um, are there such things as wild chickens? I don't think so. I think those are fully domesticated because they yeah. can't fly very well. I mean, there's wild turkeys. But point being... I don't know. So, I was in uh, Key West the other day, and, and chickens were just freaking everywhere. Them out. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but the genetically modified organism doesn't make sense. Now, if you want to talk about, like, the frankenfish, from, which is an Atlantic salmon given Pacific salmon genes, but also has some other genes for fast growth, you could argue that if that thing got in the wild, it could, you know, destroy ecosystems, Right. And if it can destroy ecosystems, that's probably not good. So now, okay, it's going to be in a tank in land and, you know, and then you make it sterile 
which they do. So they have to be artificially inseminated and stuff to, you know. Whose job breed. is that? Do, Okay, but that's you know, that's you know, like kind of the fish eggs. Like the row come out, and then you have to give it something else to make it breed. They, okay. they can't breed with each other. See, I just but demonstrated my end, ignorance. If you of wait fish long enough, sex. nature will find a way, and something will happen. Fish have sex. I, I thought I thought it was a whole different scenario. I, wow, <laughs> I don't know shit about fish. I imagine there's this dude with, this, with a fish, syringe fish, fish. looking for the ladyfish. No, no, fish, fish have eggs, and yeah, then you're you're the you're totally right. Shoot on the eggs. <laughs> my eight, my eighth grade um, life right, science like, teacher like, is like you lay the eggs and then the sperm hit the eggs. I yeah. believe that's how salmon. This is what happens when you specialize in certain areas of knowledge. You just <laughs> forget that fishes don't fuck. Okay. All right. So anyway, that kind of covers the um, the the moral implications of GMOs. But um, you know, let's but kind of talk about the 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 sciency. Like, here's the calories that you're consuming and, and, you know, what are the chemicals that you're putting into your body and, and using to fuel yourself and, and how does that stack up against, um, you know, uh, quote-unquote natural foods when we're talking about uh, obesity problems and, and uh, people just not being able to control what they eat. Well, so, so far we don't, you know, so if you want to say GMOs let us have corn, more corn, and corn is used in industrialized food production to make our Cheetos that we all pound down. I don't actually think, no, if Cheetos are corn-based, but you get my point. Or, you know, wheat that's GMO, then sure, there's a direct tie. I, right? think, they are, I think they actually are corn, but that's, that's are, inside, but yeah. No, I, I think a lot of the uh, objections to GMOs sort of overlap on a Venn diagram with people that just object to any form of capitalism whatsoever. And so they are actively protesting the fact that a company like Monsanto is out there patenting seeds and supposedly doing all this. Yeah. So if you want to talk about the bad behavior corporates, we can, I think we can leave that aside since I don't think that's the focus of today. But if you're talking about if I eat, um, genetically modified corn versus ungenetically modified, you know, so Roundup resistant corn versus regular corn or BT corn versus regular corn, does that pose a health risk to me? The answer as far as we've ever been able to tell is no. Yeah. But there's a lot of fear BT produces this botulinum toxin that doesn't affect people. It's not botulism that we eat. It's a botulism that affects only insects because they have a protein that we don't. And it affects their intestine and makes it so they can't eat anymore, essentially, is my understanding of it. And there's no receptor like that in people at all, so it doesn't do anything to us. So even though we're consuming all the corn, it does nothing. And newsflash, BT toxin is the number one, one of the number one pesticides used in organic farming because it comes from nature. Yeah. It's allowed to be used in organic, organic farming. Which... So putting it in the corn, so what? Yeah. And guess what? You know all that DNA that we ate that's mutated? However, it's mutated. Guess what happens to all the DNA that we eat, or ninety-nine percent of it? It gets destroyed because we don't want to be incorporating that DNA into our body. No, you don't eat a chicken and then you get like you know certain. You don't become a You are what you eat. (laughs) Right. Exactly. The DNA gets degraded. So I'm not worried about eating recombinant DNA. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think. Is there a concern that you could be messing with the environment in some way by having all these recombinant organisms? They're very selective. In a way that, does, yeah, you could be effing with evolution. Right. So the, the the problem with HFCS, for example, is not that it is um, chemically incompatible with the way that we process food. It's that people eat 
way too much of it. But it's subsidized, so yes. it's super cheap. So they put it in everything, so everything's sweeter than it needs to be, and so it just correct. Yeah. Now there are some people. My wife's one of them that has a fructose intolerance. She lacks the fructose transporter. Oh shit! So she can only take fructose in the equal amounts as she takes glucose. Otherwise, she gets a terrible stomach ache. Aww. So, but that's kind of it's a similar but not the same as lactose intolerance. So in that case, you don't have an enzyme that lets you cleave lactose to then be absorbed. But in that case, then the lactose goes to your gut bacteria and makes you feel like crap because it starts fermenting. Same yeah. thing if you have a fructose deficient, a fructose transporter deficiency, the fructose gets to your intestine and starts fermenting instead of being absorbed. Because remember, all your food absorption is mostly in your small intestine, and your large intestine is for water absorption. That's where all your bacteria hang out, and they then do a second round of fermentation, and some of those calories are then absorbed, and other stuff is fuel for them. So if you give them the wrong fuel, you fart up a storm because it's making a bunch of gas. <laughs> yeah, good times. So, so, I mean, while we're on the subject of GMO, I want to soapbox a little bit because uh, the people that rail against it and spread all the fear-mongering bullshit about the dangers of GMO are literally trying to starve people to death, whether or not they're doing it on oh, purpose. God, yes. I, the, and the name that I bring up as... I'm not the only one that has that's had this idea. I think uh, Penn and Teller did an entire episode on it. The greatest human being who ever lived, Norman Borlaug, saved a billion people, a billion, B, people from starvation by developing his form of GMO rice. Rice, I think it was. Or grain. I know it was rice. Right. To, to prevent like half the Indian subcontinent from starving to death because it was right. Now they're resist. making golden rice. Yes. And so the, these people would, in their... Uh, Which hatred. is genetically modified to make vitamin A, I believe, to prevent blindness. Yeah. So it's really, you know, it is a real genetic modification that people think about, not the random mutation. So it's what people fear, but it's going to save lives. Yeah, and, you know, shame on you peacenik assholes that are trying to tell people not to plant these crops... Because, you know, you're going to have their, their kids starving to death. You probably never missed a meal in your life. You spoiled... Okay, I'll, I'm going to shut up now because... <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll save it for fucking Facebook. Um, yeah, no. It's, I don't get why... Hey, the I debate's wrong. I don't realize that about that. people will starve. Well, okay. Well, I mean, I almost brought up politics because every, every single one of these goddamn podcasts so far yeah. is circles into politics. And without getting too much into the weeds on that, uh, with regards to healthcare, since we brought up uh, Medicaid, Medicare, and... Um, do you, do you have any insights as to a plan that would be at least a modest bit less of a clusterfuck or anybody that... Well, sure. It's pretty uh, easy to explain. How much is your life worth? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I would value mine a little bit higher than most people, but that's just right. bias. But, but if I told you you need to pay me what you had so you and your family wouldn't die, you'd do it. And that's why the market doesn't work for health insurance. Yeah. So, let me be clear. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The market does work. So, it's what's called an inelastic market, right? There's no market elasticity because people can't accurately price their own life or their own health. Yeah. There's no way to do it. You're you're a captured market. You you can either pay or fuck you and die. So, I'm just going to I'm I'm going to go on the on the stupid side of this, right? So, if I if I hold a gun to your head, right? How how much is your life worth? whatever i can give you right then and there right and so i think that we would all agree that that is a kind of a ridiculous way to make evaluation on on a human life right 
Well, no, but because that's what the healthcare system is asking you to do as an individual when you talk about give choice to the give give the market to the people and have more free market for insurance. So that's what I want to separate. You can absolutely have a free market for the provider systems. So can I deliver better quality hair or care, excuse me, not care. I do better quality care for less money. So Mayo Frost Clinic is blushing costs, right now. Right, costs a cl- <laughs> Mayo Clinic routinely costs less than many other places and has better outcomes and is the number one healthcare system in the country. Right? Okay. It is winning at the market of healthcare delivery. But that is a separate question from the insurance. So you never can have a truly free market for healthcare because A, people won't tolerate it. What do you mean that they can just say I can't get this covered or that it's going to cost me a million dollars, right? Well, so people don't want that. And furthermore, Medicare already sets the price for every health procedure in this country because all private insurance does is give you a 1.x or 2x multiple of the Medicare base price. That's all they do. That's how they price everything. Huh. And anything that a private insurance, a medic, a private insurances cover what Medicare does, and sometimes a little more. So, are you on board with the idea of that came up in the debates last night? I only saw clips of it. I didn't get to watch the whole thing. Uh, was it? Is it Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for all? Um, so, I I actually think a public option is better because it allows. Because if you just switch everyone to Medicare at all, all at once, you. Uh, put every insurance company out of business and all the people that work for them out of business and you'll immediately go into a massive recession. Yeah, that, that would be a, a big nightmare. And it's a huge percent of our economy. Yeah, it's something like 23 so or 25% of our economy, the insurance I think, right? Company, if the insurance, can insurance companies argue they deliver value. <laughs> right now, they just deliver overhead. Right, It's easier to bill Medicare than almost any other company. You have to have huge staffs of people to deal with insurance companies to get the money back to the provider, right? Sometimes on a net ninety, it's a pain in the ass. Okay, well, so so let me so ask you this: if because you just you, allow you, a public you, option that anyone can buy into, and that public option pays at a multiple that's more like private insurance than like Medicare, because there the, everyone is right. If everyone went to Medicare and paid what Medicare does now, healthcare would go out of business because private insurance subsidizes the lower rate of Medicare by paying more. But if you took all the money that went into private insurance and made everyone on Medicare, right? If you just did that and waved the wand and now everyone's money that they were paying through their employer, so your employer pays how many thousands of dollars a year and you pay how many thousands of dollars a year in premiums. That was all converted to a tax, right? So no one pays any more than they do now, right? It's just paid differently. It's paid as a tax versus out of your wages that your employer's paying and everything else. It all just goes into one pot. <laughs> you would be able to cover everyone at private insurance levels of payment to providers with like the world's best insurance and a ten dollar deductible and everyone could be covered. But you can't you say the T word. The, the T word is you know, people are you're you instantly become a socialist, communist, Marxist Leninist, whatever boogeyman for these assholes that are don't tread right. on these stickers on their car and they have a 
vague notion of economics that they heard Sean Hannity mention on you know Fox. Well, right, they don't realize that the reason why people's wages have been going up less over time is because your employer has to pay your total compensation. Your total compensation includes thousands of dollars a year in health care, and that's growing faster in cost than anything else. So all your raises, in quote, year after year, go to that and not into your wallet as an increase in your salary. Yep. Yeah, and that's and why they don't want to hire anybody either. That you have to have insurance if you're above, a, you know, insurance, you know, healthcare insurance being provided by your private companies mandated for a large number of workers by federal law, and then the standards of those insurance have been mandated not just by the Affordable Care Act but by other mandates, and so we're not in a regular system. So I think if you add a public option with a single unified pool that piggyback off of Medicare, right, and paid a little bit more you would see if the private insurance companies could do something. Yeah. I don't think they can. I think companies like Kaiser, which is the original healthcare company. So do you guys know the history of Kaiser? Uh, no, but um, I think I, that's the point that I know about them. You know. So Kaiser is the, is an, it was the first health maintenance organization, or HMO. So during, the 19, during World War II, companies weren't allowed to increase wages because um, they didn't want to attract workers away from going to war. So companies had to figure out a different way to, you know, poach people. So they started offering benefits. One thing that they offered benefits on the West Coast was health care because now there are finally things like penicillin and maybe you had a surgery or something. And so they, a company called Kaiser started contracting with co- corporations during World War II for their employees during World War II. A company in Kaiser post World War II. So during World War II, <clears throat> wow, right, this is when it started. That's a terrible so name Kaiser, for a company during World War II. It's <laughs> both an insurance company. Right, because you pay them to provide your care, but they also own their own hospitals and their doctors. You're, they're, they're a true HMO, yeah. right? They are a combination insurance and provider. That's the original HMO model. I'm still hung up on the whole Kaiser thing. I don't know how they survived. I mean, well, no, no, they, they changed no, 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 fucking no, no. Frankenfurters to hot dogs because of that. So <laughs> that's Kaiser. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that that's so, that's Bavaria, so that's though, not, not not Germany. So that so that's right. how health insurance became in existence was because it became a benefit that's not taxable, right? Yeah. Your, your health insurance is not taxable as part of your wages. They don't have to pay sole FICA tax on that. Shit, yeah. So then that's how the private market got going, but then there were other hospitals that weren't part of the HMO and then regular insurance and all that, you know, got the ball rolling. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing... It's an idea of a benefit. And so now it's much more expensive because there's much more health care. But you can't you can't decouple the whole genesis of it, and it's just and so maybe an insurance company could become like Kaiser again. So Aetna starts buying hospitals and providing care, and maybe then it can compete with the you know public option. And great, we have American competition. You have some weird hybrids like that in Germany that they have these weird pseudo private insurance by region with some it, it's really complicated it's, I don't even know all of it but they have they, there is some type of market and the market can work in terms of you know hospital one versus hospital two who can provide better care more efficiently right well it's like That's a supplemental a plan basically right Right. so I'm not a fan of like you know the, the, the British model which is what basically the VA is here right where the government owns the hospital but I think the, the government can compete in the provisioning of insurance because they already do it anyway. Yeah. And it gets rid of a lot of the overhead and forces the private companies to try to actually do it. 
And if they can't, then people end up on Medicare. And if they can, congratulations, American innovation and capitalism does it again, just like <laughs> we have SpaceX shooting things into the space now instead of NASA. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of in spite of the government. It is and it isn't. I mean, there was a conscious effort to try to, you know, move away from public, you know, it used to be that NASA had to put every satellite in the space. Yeah. At a huge expense. So the idea is being the same cost. Maybe they can't, you know, private industry can do it, but it can't. It, It doesn't compete in terms of efficiency currently. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so 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 that's the issue. So can health insurance? So the real question is, it's a myth that it's not already largely public anyway because of all how all the regulation and standards work. It's just that we allow these private companies to take a massive cut of the profits. It's also because there are all these private companies that are insurance companies with information working with a bunch of hospitals that don't talk to each other very well. It's impossible to do like oh we want everyone's. Uh, BMI to be below a certain level or, you know, X percent. You know, we, it's very hard to get population-wide data oh. and have population-wide campaigns. We I am sure there's some public health it. people that are, that are just salivating over the idea of a national database of everybody's, you know, public health slash NSA people that, are, that would just love to know every single time you went to the Most ER. Most other and, countries have it. So, like a lot of the a lot of large studies in large population cohorts are done outside of America because we don't have the data infrastructure for healthcare anymore to do that. Like, there's a framing. Well, no, we we, we certainly have the data infrastructure to be able we to support be, that. What what we don't have is uh, a populace that's willing to uh, give over all of that information. Oh no, they right? give over the data. They've already given the data to all the individual hospitals. It's just not centralized. Company. Yeah. It's just that none of the groups can talk to each other in such a way as to be and use the same formatting of the databases to be useful. Yeah. Well, then we could just you know. So make- most healthcare research, like when you think about like population research and all these people putting out studies of oh this population is associated with this and that in America most of the time is spent getting the database to be formatted right so that you can look at the data that already exists. Yeah, ICD right. ten. Are they up to higher than that now? Is it or no, 10? or ICD ten? Yeah, it's just that that has to be the most miserable job in all of healthcare. Shark bite while surfing due to second <laughs> encounter later <laughs> is an ICD ten while here. drunk. Yeah, uh, and fuck. so I I don't uh, disagree with the homogenization of information. You know, I certainly see that there's value to that. Um, just you know kind of my stumbling block is you know everybody's information is available to everybody that seems kind of well no it wouldn't be you'd have to have the same well, controls you do not now. HIPAA-wise. HIPAA yeah. and databases and archiving and anonymization that you do now it's just that at this point you can't get two hospitals in the same city to communicate their data to each other very well i just i can't i can't imagine how dystopian it would be and maybe this is just the you know tinfoil hat coming out here i I don't want to start sounding like a eddie bravo or anything but a a world where every data point of your life your health maybe even your damn genotype all that crap is in a database somewhere in the same database overseen by the same people and then oh hey look we're implementing social credit scores too that would be a huge problem yeah, and because I think you have to any type of database has to be, you know, adhere to the principles of HIPAA and even more, we need you know genetic non discrimination laws. And I think but, people at Experian the, should have been the, shot in the face. <laughs> um, right. So, but, but the idea of have you done twenty three in me? 
I will not so, confirm or deny if I've done 20. Yeah, I've done 23. <laughs> uh, I'm 99.6% Western European. I, I, I'm on an, ancestry. No privilege. I'm, ancestry, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah, I've, I've kept uh, all that. Uh, I have not said that. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're also both uh, either veterans or active duties. So oh, you're just all, uh, yeah, all, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, all of our information yeah, is already... The, yeah, mine, <laughs> You've gotten things placed in you you don't know about now. <laughs> um, yep. Probably yeah, some. But, no, I was but, definitely awake for that, and I will not confirm. <laughs> well, you were in the you were in the Navy though, so that's that's a whole different story. That's just the one time you know about. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, so the the idea of having the database that's anonymized, even if you get rid of people's names and any identifiers. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to do now with big data; it gets harder and harder. Yeah, there was an article uh, yesterday. It was like uh, with three data points, you can uh, accurately identify like ninety nine percent of people. Right, and so. But, like, again, the idea of targeted campaigns or, you know, health research. Other countries do it because we suck. <laughs> you can't really correlate or you can't really use, um, like, the population of the Netherlands to compare to the United States too much because those people are out Somebody biking like, and running through the tulips while we're, you know, sitting here watching. Right, but you can compare the fat Netherlands to the not fat Netherlands and have a better conclusion about whether they're doing differently. Well, but no, no, there, there, there was uh, an article about this recently that, that was talking specifically about how uh, because of, um, you know, what Bernie and, and, and these other, uh, like, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren are, are, are talking about as far as like free healthcare and stuff like that goes, right? So they're they're saying, okay, well, you know, we have this model in like the Netherlands and in Sweden and stuff like that. And part of the problem there is that it is such a homogenous society compared to us. And yes. they're also a hell of a lot smaller than us. Um and they're, you know... Well, BMI-wise, but I think they're well, actually... The Dutch are taller than us by, like, a couple inches. No, but I mean, I mean, like, as far as population, right? So we're, we're talking, you know, like 10 million people versus 320 million people. Oh, smaller population. Right, when you, when, when you start talking about statistics of a highly homogenous country that is also um, geophysically located uh, in a different part of the world... Um, you know where where our climates are not even close to the same, right? So right. There, there's going to be uh, physiological differences there that do not translate. Well, I mean, any smaller Absolutely. system is going to be but, easier to manage. My point being is, yeah, so sure, but that's but our data comes from a lot of those places because our databases aren't good. That that's what I'm getting at. Germany's actually probably the best model that we could come to, which is this set my you know nonprofit government regulated insurance one per their little equivalent of a state yeah. that is regulated there at a semi-local level that then companies can supplement but at that and all companies pay into and then all the employees get in and then everyone gets out of it essentially germany's doing a lot of cool shit lately just in general it's well, their, their healthcare system has been is, is is there's issues with it like america expects to be in and out quickly from a hospital and have a lot more mris available fine we already spend more on healthcare than everyone else, and so we can continue to spend more healthcare than everyone else, so that we can have more MRIs in Boston than they do in the UK. I'm fine with that. That doesn't mean we have to have all the inefficiencies as well. We can agree to spend more than everyone else and still spend less than we do now and have the better outcomes. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to solve that problem anytime soon because our culture is not one where we're concerned about the collective welfare as much as we are the individual success over others. It's it's we're we're like programmed to be a zero sum culture, so we're not really worried well, about everybody. Right, but I think that's why I'm a fan of the public option. You get that in, you let what happens happens, and it'll either win or it won't. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I appreciate you being here. We're running like way over what I thought we were going to keep oh. you for. So, I mean, we can keep keep going forever. But I want I don't know what your time looks like. I got got another ten or fifteen minutes that I'm going to turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, and I know how that night shift life is, man. I oh, yeah. do not miss that. Uh, it's my birthday's coming up, so I avoid it this week. No, well, I only do it one Happy day. Happy birthday! A week. Yeah, I spend thank you. I spend most of my time in the lab during the day, and then I do one night shift a week. Yeah, it's kind of my uh, it's my shtick. Oh, oh, the other diet thing, alkaline diets. Yes, 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 yes. Back to that. All right. The Gracies were pushing that shit, weren't they? So I don't know who was pushing it, but I can't. They had their own. Like this is a soapbox of mine. Yeah, yeah. Go no. It's it's very simple. Your blood pH must stay between seven point three five and seven point four five for you to remain healthy. Yep. And your body does everything it fucking has to do to maintain that level of health or that level of pH. Okay, when it's not in that level, it's a medical problem, and depending on how far out it is. So seven point two, you're dying, and seven point six five or seven, you're dying. Yeah, metabolic alkalosis or acidosis. Right, right. Well, either alkalosis, alkalosis or acidosis. Whether it's metabolic or respiratory is a whole other question. Yeah, or mixed. You can have mixed too. But the point being, you can't have that. So. Uh, the idea of an alkaline diet, A, if you were trying to do it and were successful, you'd kill yourself. <laughs> which, you know, would not so, necessarily so be a bad outcome work, for the you'd planet. Be dead, yep. Which, ergo, shows it doesn't work. No. And B, you're putting in a weak base, typically like pH 9 fizzy water, right? Yeah. Into your stomach. That is going to be counteracted by the, what is it, uh, how many molar HCl? Oh, don't make me, I mm. fucking hate chemistry. I, I hated it so much. Uh, I'm, I'm looking up the molarity really quick. Uh, well, yeah, so basically you're, you're telling your stomach, hey, don't process any more food, right? Well, no, it's so the cells. But in, are, in in a, in a chemical way, because the, so if you don't have the hy- hydrochloric uh, acid, which is uh, what what breaks down, um, you know the initial yeah, but your food, body right? just pumps more of it out. Right, right, right. So, but so anytime you eat food, food is real. So, guess what the pH of most food is? Like, not a tomato that's on the acidic side, but guess what the pH of most food you eat is? Dude, I don't know this. Seven? <laughs> about. Okay. Because your body's about your body's about seven. Well, it's all living shit, sort of. Correct. Like, so, it, which all has to Some stuff will be a little acidic. You know, vinegar is pH four. Most people don't eat things as acidic as vinegar on a daily basis, mm. right? So, your body has a hit, you, you know, pH rises when you eat from the basic stomach acid. Your stomach pumps out more pure acid, and it gets acidified. Your body just does it until it hits a certain pH. 
So by the time your nice alkaline stuff hits your stomach, it's already been converted into acid, and you basically are then going to absorb some extra uh, of that base that will then get excreted. We know this happens because you don't die. Secondly, it's really dumb. You, you know why they don't like... What if they get... You know you know why they only do like pH 9 and not pH 11 or 12 or something? Because beyond that, it's... Uh, well... So, if I had to put a gun to your head and say, Here, you can either drink sodium hydroxide or hydrochloric acid. Which would you want to drink? But hydrochloric acid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Every time. Because that's going to burn, and then your body will regenerate, because the acid will be neutralized by the water. It'll get diluted by the water in your body, and then it goes in and gets into your stomach anyways, which is already acidic, and you can handle that, right? And your esophagus can handle some acid. It's reflux. It's not good. It burns, but you'll be okay. You may have some problems, but you'll live. Yeah. You drink pure hydrochloric acid. Uh, you, you, it's called saponification, where you make soap. You know, you take sodium hydroxide. That's how you make soap out of people in Fight Club. Um, <laughs> You do that to your body. That's, you know, pH 12 to 14 realm here. And uh, you just soaked your, your, you know, your esophagus. And now you don't have one. Sweet. Yeah, see, I'm... Um, right. So I, it has to be a weak base. Yeah. That's trying to, which is pH 9, counteracting. So you can say, well, let me guess. So it has, you could have a strong base that's very dilute. So strong versus weak has to do with its equilibrium point, not the pH. Yeah. The pH is related to equilibrium point in water, but that gets into chemistry that we don't need to get into. Mm -hmm. But long and short, you can't have a whole lot of oomph going on, however you want to define oomph, both in the terms of weak versus strong base and in the pH, because it's too dangerous. So you can only have a weak amount of base going on, aka things that absorb protons. And then it's going to be hitting a massive proton source in your stomach and go away. And furthermore, if you absorbed it, it'd kill you. If it actually worked to alter your blood pH, it'd kill you. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm, like I said, I, I'm not uh, uh, entirely opposed to people. So I, I am no supporter of eugenics, but I'm not opposed to people self-selecting out of the gene pool. Uh, especially if they, that's their sort of, you know, their, their, their process. That's, that's how, that's the extent of their thinking skills. Now, when it, I would be, I would object to people convincing normal, you know, people that would otherwise be like, uh, I'm not sure about well, that, but so, y'all try it. Yeah, it has to go with this Warburg effect. So cancer cells are known to acidify their environments and favor glycolysis over oxidative phosphorylation. And so the idea of, well, if it's more alkaline, that'll fight the cancer. It, you know, you, you take one thing and extrapolate a million degrees the you know further, that's how you get this alkaline diet crap. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's just silly. It doesn't work. I mean, it's like selling gluten-free water. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Twizzlers, man. I don't know if that's a, still a thing, but the last... I vaguely remember this, even as a kid, saying Twizzlers, they used to say a fat-free product. It's fucking candy. Yeah. Who puts fat in like that kind of candy? It's not chocolate. It's so sorry that that's a little bit yes. of mild frustration from my. It is wheat and sugar though. But fat. With... Sorry, it's like oh, here's a fat-free lemon. Yeah, <laughs> it's also gluten-free. It's gluten-free. Yeah, it's potato chips that are gluten-free. But it's really hard to say it's not GMO. Yeah, man. Uh, there, uh, never mind. Let, let's get off the top. <laughs> this is this is gonna be one of those things where I just start saying yeah. dropping f bombs and yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not GMO. But yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll do the second show. 
Yeah, yeah. We, so we'll we'll definitely have you back if there's, especially if there's anything that you want to like, just go off into the weeds on. Um, oh God. Because if not martial. I can go off in the weeds of martial arts for hours. Yeah, we. I actually looked up uh, an old thread about somebody whose name I don't want to invoke because seriously, fuck that guy. Uh, he has stalked me on LinkedIn and sent me so many. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you know. Let's not bring him up. Uh, Got it. Yeah, if I'm with you. Jesus Christ. And he even, like, recruited people that were, you know, former members of, at the time, oh, active yeah. members. And was like, hey, man, I'm a cool dude now. Let's totally be friends. Fuck you, buddy. So. Oh, it's not just that. Like, so, I, you know, I'm in the Kajakemba world. And that is, with the death of its founder gone, you know, Rank inflation left, right, and up the middle, and all types of garbage, and drives me yeah. absolutely up the wall. Is it? And doesn't Kanji Kimbo have some kind of crazy ass fucking? Oh man, I, I vaguely remember something from like decades ago about some crazy forms. Where it's like, yeah, just this. This one's called the uh, "fuck you up at midnight on the street" Basically. form. Yeah, that. that kind yeah, of, I was like, so Ka- shit. Kimbo's all over the MMA world. So Chuck Liddell does Kaja Kimbo. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. I mean his John Hackleman's a Kajakembo black belt. Okay, Greg Jackson got a start out of a Kajakembo school. Yeah, like it's all over the goddamn place. Yeah, and there there were um, so many before MMA was more of a codified system. There were a lot of dudes that are like, I just want to mix a bunch of shit and don't take with what what works. I think well, uh, my old instructor modern Steve Kaja, modern, modern MMA would be very successful as Kajakembo plus BJJ. Yeah. Kajakembo, as it's written, doesn't have a lot of the ground fighting in it, but has all of the standing grappling. Yeah, the the throws Plus, and that kind like, of shit, right? Review sprawls some more because you need more sprawls. But but it's just it's gone. It's like there's some of you know just like any organization, there's some that's good and some that's garbage that drives me. Yeah. Now you get now you get BJJ bullshito, which also oh happens. shit yeah you know what I we started getting off the exclusive subject of martial arts, unfortunately, right along the time. Where BJJ started to Taekwondo itself, and it, yeah. where BJJ started getting off the topic of martial arts. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's still a pet peeve of mine. I, I I've never actively trained Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, I my background is basically an MMA school for over a decade, and you know we just we fucking rolled. We threw punches and we rolled and shit. And so, and this this is a story I've probably already brought up once in the podcast, but I went to a a certain BJJ school and was rolling with one of their purple belts and we were just rolling and bigger dude probably had like 50 pounds on me. Um, I was on my back. I, I reaped his leg and he threw a shit fit. He was pissed. I mean, I, I had a heel hook, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't even remotely going to crank it because it wasn't competitive. I wasn't trying to be a dick. I just, you know, there, there it was. I got it, right? Fuck! I don't know. I, it was like I basically whipped out my dick at his church. Uh, I was like, I was not expecting that level of outrage, and I wasn't even prepared for it. So I, yeah. I mean, there's all types of stuff. I joke. I'm like this. I, you know, I've come from the older school root BJJ, and now I'm like the slowest testing person ever because when I was in North Carolina, I couldn't get ranked. Yeah. Because the I owned a gym and the rival gyms were the BJJ schools, uh, and so no one would rank me. Of course, not. they let me pay their purple belts and other people to come teach at my place. But it wasn't until we got a Gracie Baja black belt from Florida that started teaching with us like six months before I left <laughs> that I started getting stripes, and then I moved, and so I'm like the world's like I've been a blue belt forever. Yeah, yeah, I right. Don't... Comedically, it's like now a joke. But I'm I'm going on ten years as a blue belt. 
Nice. I, I have no yeah. belt in Brazilian anything. Not even yeah, it's a, and it's but, 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 but what does it really like matter, right? No. Uh, well, I really wanted to go from white belt to blue belt because it was really awkward being a white belt forever and <laughs> yeah. like tapping all these people and then be like, "Wait, you actually know what you're doing?" I'm like, "Yes." Can I please get a blue belt so that people can I can have a stamp of I've done this for a while? And then after that, I didn't care. Yeah, it's like those wrestlers Which, that go to jujitsu competitions. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, you're a white belt, but you're an NCAA champion. You fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Was it yeah, Roddy? Get, Roddy. Make them go to blue or purple now. Roddy Ferguson. Uh, what was his? I forgot. Dude was like a Olympic judo dude. Would show up at. Uh, was not not a black belt in Brazilian jiu jitsu until they were like, dude, you're a fucking black belt. Fuck you. Uh, and would just ruin people because he was. Yeah, he would just pick pick them up and throw them. Like like it, it was just sad. Sandbagging is is pretty bad, and I, I don't even compete. So. Uh, now we're talking about martial arts. Good for all the people that keep bitching that we don't cover martial arts on the side or on the on the social media or anything. So there you go. Shut the fuck up. Yes, we did. We did a little bit there. Yeah, we. You could have a whole episode on diet and weight cutting for fighting, and I, I I hope they get rid of weight cutting for as much as possible for MMA. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't understand dream. how to do that without people dying because they're still trying to do it. They're, they still want to be the 185-pounder in the fights at lightweight, and they're going to dehydrate until five minutes before the fight and hope that the guy You can, can do s- hydration testing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, but then it gets more expensive, and then these guys don't see any of the money anyway. It all goes to that fat, bald fuck. So, with the alcoholic face, you can tell at least. All right, so before Zufa <laughs> sues us... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell <sighs> uh, I, I'm getting salty. So. Probably the best time to edit. I haven't even said fuck up one time. So, so uh, it took no time like the present. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, there. There you go. Just in case anybody's confused, it's it's not that I, I hate Republicans. We hate stupid. Yep, and people that think stupid people are smart. That's the worst. Because you're, because you're, you're so stupid you can't identify stupid. You are a threat to civilization. And don't vote. Stay home. Now. <laughs> we're, we're losing the three people on this fucking podcast. <laughs>